Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. I can rush the sermon and cut out some stuff. I don't want to rush this. It's, uh, it's too important. I think that uh, over the years we've become accustomed to uh, a certain amount of uh, drama uh, involved in the world of professional sports. Am I right? But somehow I never expected it from the game of golf. I always thought that golf was kind of exempt from all of that nonsense. The players uh, were always so dignified, uh, you know, shh, quiet everybody. And and people were respectful of the game, you know, fans weren't rowdy. and And the players, the players were rewarded based on their ability to play the game. If you play well, you made money. If you didn't play well, you could come back and try again next week. Well, that illusion was kind of shattered over the past couple of months and with this controversy between uh, the PGA and the, and the LIV. Have, have you been following that, anybody? Yeah, I'm still not quite sure that I understand what's going on, but uh, people that want to play for the LIV can no longer play for the PGA. It's like, you don't want to play by my rules, well, I'm going to take my balls and go home. Uh, and, and it just didn't make a lot of sense for me. I, it just seemed to be a performance-based game. If you played well, you got to play, and if you made a certain cut, then you got to play in whatever tournament was, was available. You know, you, you earned your right to do that. No, but evidently, there's more to it than that, and I never really knew what it was all about. But recently, a guy, a, a guy came out. Finally, I saw this article online that says that uh, uh, finally someone admits the real reason uh, for joining the LIV Golf it's all about the money. Uh, yeah, no, no. It's all about the money. So uh, uh, David Faraday, who's a golf commentator, I guess he was with NBC. Now he's, who knows who he's going off with. Uh, uh, he, he's the one that named the elephant in the room. He's the one who said, it. hey, it's all about the money. Uh, and he cites the, the ability to have fewer restrictions on what he can say. Uh, and then I, and I'm going to quote him. He says, an opportunity. I have an opportunity to be myself again. It is becoming more and more difficult, especially in sports broadcasting, to have any kind of character. I have become more and more guarded uh, over the last few years. And then he says this. People are waiting around every corner hoping to be offended by something. Our lives are being shaped by small groups of mean-spirited people who have no sense of humor. We're in danger of losing our national sense of humor because of this. So here's a guy who calls it like it is, and he's taken heat for it. But that's not new. People who are willing to call it like it is are always going to receive negative attention. And Jesus found this to be true. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the book of John. We're back in John, the seventh chapter. And uh, 
when I was last with you, we're going through the sixth chapter. And Jesus is calling it like it is. And people don't like it. People, uh, Jesus is calling people back into a relationship with Jesus or with, with God, back into the, to the, uh, the covenant relationship that was established through Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob. Jesus has identified the problem. And the problem is sin. But he doesn't just stop there. He also provides a solution. And in the sixth chapter, he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood... You will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And people are offended by that. Now, now, of course, they want to take him literally. And, of course, we can't take him literally. Jesus tells us, I'm speaking to you spiritually. I am willing to sacrifice myself to atone for your sin so that you can be forgiven. I, I, and I find, that, I find it very refreshing that Jesus, not only in his calling people back into this covenant relationship with God, is willing to name the problem, but he doesn't stop there. There are no end to people who want to tell you what's wrong. Lots of people want to tell you what the problem is. And if there's a problem, I want to hear it. If you want to come to me with a problem, come to me with the problem. I want to hear it, but I also want to hear what your solution is. Because if you come with a problem without a solution, then in my thinking, you're a part of the problem. Jesus says, I've got a solution as well. And I'm the solution. In true form, as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, he offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins. That we might be reconciled with God. That we might be forgiven. And then we might have the opportunity to live into God's kingdom and be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are some people that just don't want to hear that. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from this time, we have a turning point in the gospel of John. From this time, people stopped following Jesus. They started peeling off. Jesus asks his disciples, the 12, he says, are you two? Do you, do you two want to leave? And Simon Peter, who says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One from God. Peter doesn't purport to have all the answers, but he already has a glimpse into the fact that Jesus is the solution. They're not willing to go anywhere else. So we pick up the narrative in the seventh chapter. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposefully staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Oh, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Therefore, Jesus told them, 
the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me the time, the right time, has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. Uh, however, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is the man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Jesus comes along, imploring people to return to a right relationship with God. Living within that framework of that biblical ethic, yet punctuating it with grace. Identifying the problem that is separating people from a right relationship with God, that being sin. But he comes with a solution. His own life. And people find that offensive. I've heard people say, well, you know what, if Jesus would just kind of do some of the miracles in our time that, uh, that he did back in the first century, well, then people would be lining up. You think so? You think that would be true? I don't. Because even in his own day, his own brothers didn't believe him. And they saw his miracles. That's what in this first part here in chapter 7, the his brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Show yourself to the world. Well, that tells me that his brothers saw the miracles that he was doing. But it wasn't enough. And if it wasn't enough for the family members of Jesus, what makes us think that it's going to be enough if all of a sudden he starts doing miracles in our time? The reality is that ministering amongst our own families is often some of the most challenging work we will ever engage in. Why? Because they know us. They know us. I'm a baby of the family. Thank you very much. Which means my brothers and sisters, my brother and sister, they've known me all my life. And there may or may not be some incriminating uh, uh, footage of me doing things uh, in my pre-Christian days that, uh, that I may or may not have done um, and can neither confirm nor deny. But I want to tell you that they bring that up to me every time I start talking about spiritual things. Imagine how it is for Jesus. And it's even worse for Jesus because Jesus was an embarrassment to his family, his brothers and his sisters. And I, and, and I don't think it really dawned on me until I started really thinking about this passage. His brothers and sisters knew who their father was. 
When Mary turned up pregnant with Jesus, it was a scandal. Can you imagine she going to her parents and saying, I'm with child, but don't worry, it's from God. The only other person that, the only other two people that believed her was Joseph, and that's because God told him in a dream what was going on, and, and her cousin Elizabeth. Jesus' parentage was a scandal in the village. And, and we'll see this later on in the Gospel of John as Jesus is pushing back, and they finally just kind of look at Jesus and they say, well, we know who our daddy is. He was an embarrassment. The miracles were not enough. So if we think that if God just started doing miracles in our time, that everything would be hunky and dory and people would flood uh, to Jesus for forgiveness, we've got another thing coming. It's more than just miracles. There's more than just miracles that are on the line. It's our lives, our very lives. Jesus tells them, he says, the time is not right. The, time, the, the, the right time has not yet come for me, but any time is right for you. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. There's a lot of evil in the world today. And we're told to keep our mouths shut. Don't speak against it. You might offend someone. As uh, I read, there's somebody around every corner waiting to be offended by something. And the reality is that the gospel is an offense. Jesus said, I, I represent a stumbling stone. It is offensive. Why is it offensive? Because so many people don't want to be honest with themselves. They would rather feed themselves a lie. And so how are we to respond? I think we're to respond like Jesus. And it's all about timing. He says, the right time is not here yet. At the right time, and he does go. And there were three times a year where every male, adult male, was required to go to, to Jerusalem for the festival, and this was one of them. We'll talk more about that next week because we're running out of time. But this is good stuff. Just give me a few minutes here. That's the nice thing about this service. Y'all are very gracious. And there's nobody circling for a next sermon, next ser service. But timing, timing, timing is so important in our lives. But in addition to timing, do you know what the most effective testimony is to someone? A transformed life. Thank you. A transformed life. To be transformed by the Holy Spirit so that we can become more and more like Jesus day by day. And then you look for the right timing. And you pray, Lord, show me the right timing. And then be ready to go in with gentleness. Be ready to go in respectfully. Because it is good news, people. It is good news. God knows. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's willing to forgive us. We've got to identify the problem in our lives. And he's there with the solution to bring grace, forgiveness, truth, reconciliation, healing into people's lives. What a joy. We can't ever be angry or, 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 or uh, vindictive or judgmental in a message like that. 
It's a message of hope. But that message of hope has to accompany a transformed life. If your life is not being transformed, your words fall on deaf ears. But Jesus does go. He goes not publicly, but in secret. And at the feast, the Jews were watching for him, asking, where is the man? Some said he's a good person. Others said that he deceives people. Jesus is more than just a good person. A good person is not going to go around declaring himself to be the son of God. And neither does he deceive people. Oh, we have the corner on that. We deceive left and right, and we deceive ourselves most of all. But what I find fascinating in this little section here is that no one was willing to say anything publicly about Jesus for fear of the Jews. Because they had already made it known, the leadership had already made it known that if you speak out for Jesus, we're going to throw you out of the community. Let me ask you this question. Of whom are you afraid? Of whom are you afraid? Oh, we live in challenging times. And there's a whole herd of elephants in the room. And we are being constantly told to keep our mouths shut. The words of the prophet Isaiah ring true today. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And you Christians, just keep your mouths shut. Without a transformed life, we kind of need to keep our mouths shut. A lot of people calling themselves Christians who know about Jesus but don't know Jesus. Who are not spending time in the word. They're espousing an apologetic that's not grounded in the biblical truth. What does that mean? An apologetic is a defense of the faith. They're, they're defending a faith that's not biblical and people are going, I'm not buying it. We need to be people of the book. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and why it matters. We need to be engaged in spiritual disciplines, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. And with that transformed life, we need to wait for the right timing to share with someone of the hope that is within us with gentleness and respect. And it all starts with making a decision to follow Jesus. And I hope and I pray that everyone here today has made that decision. It's hard. It's difficult. But the world needs what we have more than ever. Now is the time to get off the fence. Now is the time to be hot or cold, to boldly proclaim whom we follow with a message of hope, grace, and forgiveness for a world that is dying for some good news. 
Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. I'm really sorry that I missed uh, Island Nights. I understand that uh, a great time was had by all. I hope you enjoyed uh, getting to know Achi and his family uh, a little bit more. Uh, one of the times that Achi came out, he and I got to spend some time together. And uh, I asked him, I said, what do you want to do? He said, oh, I really would like to go play golf. Have you played golf before? He says, no, but I watched it on television. I said, well, why don't we go to the driving range? And he goes, okay. So we went to the driving range, and he put, put the ball on the tee. I gave him a club, and he took a swing, and he missed. He took another swing and just knocked the ball off the tee. He took a third swing and shanked it off to the right. He paused, and he looked at me, and he said, it looks a lot easier on television. <laughs> And I was reminded of a, a quote by G.K. Chesterton, who said, Christianity has not been tried and found lacking. It has been found difficult and left untried. I have great respect for the people who play the game of golf, but it takes a lot of time, energy, and practice to play at that level. I also have a lot of respect for people who live out their faith well. But I know that it takes time, practice, spiritual disciplines to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of transformation that lets our words ring true in people's ears. Let's follow Jesus, people. In word and in deed, that is living in the kingdom at its best.